London Calling. London Walks Connecting. London Walks here with your daily London fix. Story time, history time. Every block of stone has a statue inside it, and it's the task of the sculptor to discover it. That's how Michelangelo put it. Novelists regularly say the same thing. A story, or a character in a story, will take over and drive the thing forward. It takes on a life of its own, ends up leading its creator, the novelist, almost giving shape to itself. What I'm finding is that something similar is happening with this Today in London History podcast project. There are things coming out of it, let's call them prominences, that I didn't know were there, but having produced 150 of these things, they're now certainly discernible. Perhaps think of it as the formation of a mountain range. Some of the peaks stand out. They're just higher than the others. One of those peaks, I've commented on this before, is London's and Londoners' unending obsession, an obsession across the ages with novelty and spectacle. The latest episode is taking place even as I'm preparing these remarks. The new Elizabethan line, Crossrail, opened just a few hours ago, and sure enough, a huge crowd of Londoners have turned out to be its first passengers, to scope it out, to ride it, to see something new, experience something different. And then there's that old saw about travel broadening the mind. You go to a foreign country, you don't just learn about the place you're visiting, you simultaneously learn a whole lot about your native land. Traveling puts into perspective how things are done at home. That's traveling in the here and now. But the same thing is true of traveling back in time. You can better get the measure of how we feel about things, of what we make of them, of what our values are, by comparing the response of our forebears to the same phenomenon. Time traveling, like traveling, provides perspective. And that brings us to May 25th, 1850, to the zoological gardens, as they called it. The zoo, we'd say today, brings us face to face with Obesh. Obesh is a very young hippopotamus. Obesh has done some traveling. He's come all the way to London from an island on the White Nile. He's novel. He's a spectacle. The Londoners who are seeing him today, May 25th, 1850, and they're turning out by the thousands, just as their latter-day fellow Londoners are turning out today, May 25th, 2022, to ride the new Elizabethan line, the Londoners who are seeing Obeish the Hippopotamus are seeing something that hasn't been seen in Europe for over 16 centuries, since Roman times, in other words. Okay, now the backstory. And look, some of this makes for uncomfortable listening. It's what I was just talking about a minute ago. At no little risk of belaboring the obvious, our sensibility isn't exactly congruent with the sensibility of people who lived 170 years ago. Some of what you're going to hear now brings that out very clearly. It provides perspective. Obesh is about 9 or 10 months old. He was captured in August 1849 on the island of Phobesh in the White Nile, about 2,000 miles above Cairo. Needless to say, he's named for the island where he was captured. 
Okay, now brace yourself. He was captured on a hunting expedition. Great white hunters had mortally wounded his mother. She'd staggered back toward her baby. He wasn't a whole lot bigger than a newborn calf, though much stouter and lower. He was hidden in thick bushes on the riverbank. His mortally wounded mother, trying to get back to her infant, led the hunters to him. When the baby hippo was discovered, he made a rush to the river and nearly escaped. In the words of someone who was there, he almost got away thanks to the slipperiness of his naked, lubricious skin. Now brace yourself again. The hunters got him, secured him, by sinking a boat hook in his flank. The scar on his side would for the rest of his life testify to how he was captured. Step forward, the British consul in Egypt, Sir Charles Murray. He would come to be known as Hippopotamus Murray. Sir Charles Murray talked the Ottoman viceroy of Egypt into a swamp. Obeish and some other exotic animals for some greyhounds and deerhounds. Then came the long journey. It took months to London, to the zoo, down the White Nile to the Mediterranean, then by P&O steamer to Southampton, then by rail to London, and the last leg through the streets of London in a caged wagon. Let's go back to a contemporary account. Again, you will register the sensibility difference immediately. Things get said that wouldn't be said today. These are Professor Richard Owen's observations. Richard Owen is remembered today for coining the word dinosaur. Professor Owen was Britain's foremost biologist and paleontologist. Here's the professor. The young animal is now seven feet long and six and a half feet in girth. The strong attachment of the animal to its keeper removed every difficulty in its various transfers from ship to train and from wagon to its actual abode. On arriving at the gardens, the Arab, who has had the charge of it, walked first out of the transport van with a bag of dates over his shoulder, and the beast trotted after him, now and then lifting up its huge, grotesque muzzle and sniffing at its favorite dainties with which it was duly rewarded on entering its apartment. When I saw the hippopotamus the next morning, it was lying on its side in the straw, with its head resting against the chair on which its swarthy attendant sat. Yes, ouch. It now and then uttered a soft, complacent grunt. Well, bears repeating, Londoners and novelty. Obeish was an instant hit. As many as 10,000 people a day were turning out to see the great lion of the day, as a newspaper called him. Everyone was thrilled. Everyone except Obeish. Surprise, surprise, he didn't like his confinement. He hated his zookeepers. He broke a tooth trying to bite through his cage. Poor fellow. Things got a little better for him when they fetched him a wife in 1854. The pair finally produced offspring in 1871, but the calf died within a year, as did a second newborn the next year. But third time lucky, on Guy Fawkes Day in 1872, the couple produced a female baby that survived. She was, of course, named Guy Fawkes. The family had six years together. Obeish died in 1878. He was 28 or 29. 
Hippos normally live 40 to 50 years. No question, but there are notes that are very much in a minor key in this tale. Quite a bit of London melancholy stirred into that dominant London note of the place's insatiable appetite for spectacle and novelty. But let's take our leave of Obeish. Like Hansel and Gretel, maybe there are white pebbles, or dates even, dainties, Obeish's favorites, that we can follow, make our way through verdurous glooms and winding mossy ways back to today in London. And as the Obeish note fades, recedes, a Today in London recommendation. No, not a trip to the zoo. A ride on the Elizabethan line should go some way towards scouring off the stain in our minds of that scar on Obatia's side. You've been listening to the Today in London History Podcast, emanating from www.walks.com, home of London Walks, London's multi-award winning walking tour company, Indeed, London's only award-winning walking tour company. The London Walks banner bears the rare device. It all comes down to the guiding. Now look at that honor guard marching beneath that rare device. That honor guard is London Walks guides. They march under that banner because, uniquely, they are accomplished professionals. Guides who are barristers, Doctors, geologists, historians, criminal defense lawyers, Royal Shakespeare Company actors, museum curators, Museum of London archaeologists, and the creme de la creme, the MVPs of the professional guiding fraternity, Blue Badge, Westminster, and City of London guides who've won the big one, the Guide of the Year Award. Guides who make the new familiar and the familiar new. And on that agreeable note, come then, let us go forward together on some great London walks. Good luck and good Londoning. See you tomorrow.